Tonight, we're going to talk about the intimacy of prayer. The intimacy of prayer. It's a very big topic, but don't be afraid because we have a very big God. What better way to start talking about prayer than with prayer? So if you don't know what prayer is, prayer is simply talking to God like you talk to anybody else. So what we normally do when we pray is we close our eyes and we bow our heads and that's solely so we can concentrate on what we're saying. So I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute and we're going to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So prayer. Where are we going to start with prayer? Nowhere anyone would expect. We're going to start with dinner. Dinner is a fascinating thing. I love dinner. I love food. And I love coming to cafe church at night time where we all get to sit and share and eat. Now, who's been out to dinner recently? Hands up, anybody? My wife and I went out to dinner recently, which for me was 12 months ago. <laughs> um, that's pretty recent. Um, and we, we went out to a lovely restaurant and we were having a nice time. And as you do when you go out to dinner, you start to observe what people are doing. And we started making some notes about some of the people we saw at different tables and what they were doing. So we're going to take a bit of a whistle-stop tour through some of our dinner guests. Now, as we do this tonight, I really want to challenge you all to stop and think about how you came into this church tonight, how you identify with each of these people, and how each of these people identifies with the way you react or interface to your other people in the world and how you talk to God. So just have a think about that as we go through. Couple number one. Have you ever been out to dinner and seen people on these? You go onto a train now, 20 years ago, you'd see everyone on a paper. Now they're all on one of these. This couple walked in looking at their phones. They walked to their table looking at their phones. They sat down looking at their phone. And when the waiter came and rudely interrupted whatever they were doing, they stopped, they quickly ordered, and they went back on their phones. They ate their whole meal one-handed looking at their phone. He got up and paid on his phone, and they left on their phone. Not once in that entire time did they speak. Did they look at each other? Did they actually have any form of interaction with the other person? They spent the entire time on this. Their whole focus was on their world, them and them alone. And it was quite sad, but you see this more and more in today's world. Couple number two. Couple number two came in talking. And Sue and I thought, wow, this is looking up. At least we've got some normal people in the world. And they sat down and they ordered. And the second they ordered, he pulled out his phone. And he spent the rest of the evening on his phone. She tried all of the standard techniques I've seen ladies do when they want to get their man's attention. She tried the cough technique. <coughs> she tried the tap the cutlery on the table technique. She tried, I'm sure, kicking him under the table. And he just remained completely oblivious. He stayed on his phone. 
He went and paid. He walked out of there with a spring in his step. He was excited. He'd had a great time. She walked out, looking at the floor, shoulders forward, such an expression of deep sadness on her face. She had no interaction and she was broken. And it was really sad to see. Part of me wanted to get up and slap the guy around, but Susan told me it wasn't good because he was a Maori and six foot six and built like a brick, so <laughs> that wouldn't have been wise at all. But again, we all know people like this as well. Again, think about how did you come in tonight? How are you oblivious to the opportunity that's right in front of you? Our lady number three, she came into the restaurant alone. She made a beeline for the back darkest corner of the restaurant and sat down, didn't look up. When the waiter came, he removed the other set of cutlery on the table. She sat there by herself. She ate by herself. She quietly went out and paid and left. Didn't look at another person, didn't say another thing, wasn't on her phone, but just sat there in silence and loneliness. Silence and loneliness. Again, think about how you've come into this room tonight. Did you make a beeline for a table? Did you go and sit with someone who was alone? How do you react in that sort of situation? Sue and I wanted to invite this lady over to our table because we really did feel sorry for her, but it was just so obvious that she wanted nothing to do with another person. And that was terrible. Finally, we have our couple who came in holding hands and they were talking. They sat at their table and they chatted about their week and they laughed and they told jokes, which I've been told I'm not allowed to do tonight. And they ate, they talked about their menu choices, they stopped halfway through their meal and swapped plates. Everybody done that, it's one of my favourite parts of dinner. Then they talked about what they did and don't like on other people's plates. They prayed, which was another good sign, and they left. They spent the whole night looking at each other's eyes. They spent the whole night talking and sharing, not about the superficial, but about what was real in their life. They grew in love, they grew together, and they're the type of couple you will see probably out every Saturday morning taking a half hour block out of their time to commit to their marriage relationship because it is so important for them to grow together and to block out time for that other person. That's where you start to see sharing and love. So we've got our four couples here. Who has intimacy? Anyone want to have a guess? Which table? One, two, three, four. Four. Very good. Have a think about your life right now with Jesus, with the people around you. What table are you sitting at tonight? What table do you want to be sitting at tonight? Four is good. So who has intimacy? Maybe the question is, what is intimacy? So let's have a bit of a look. I did a Google search. And after I removed everything that is not applicable for a church screen, <laughs> we come up with the first one, intimacy, into me you see. Into me you see. And I thought, this is fantastic. Somebody who sees through my eyes. Somebody who knows the beat of my heart. Somebody who stands in my shoes is in harmony with my emotions, and I thought, wow, this is it, and then I stopped. I thought, this is wrong. What's wrong about this? Into me, you see, not into us, we see. 
This is also a Katy Perry song, which makes it a double negative. <laughs> but think about it. This is the way of the world. The world is looking for, into me, you see. Into me, you see. And I thought, well, that's no good. So I thought, I'll try Relationships Australia. Intimacy is about loving, trust and support. Well, I lovingly trust and support a whole pile of people I know in the world, but I don't say I have intimacy with all of them. So I don't think that quite cuts it. Dictionary.com. Close familiarity or friendship, a cosy and private or relaxed atmosphere. Well, we've got a cosy, relaxed and private atmosphere here, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's intimate for everybody. Synonym.com. Togetherness, affinity, rapport, attachment, familiarity, confidentiality, companionship, affection, warmth. Now you're starting to get a bit of a feel. If you apply those words to each of the four tables, you can start to see who's got which part of what. It's about communication. It's about understanding and being understood. It's about sharing. It's about relationship. So that takes us to the world's perspective. It's not so bad. But perhaps being in a church and being Christians, we should take a look at what is his perspective on intimacy. Intimacy. If you have read anything in the Bible, intimacy is all about father, son and spirit. Perfect relationship, perfect love, perfect understanding, perfect, perfect, perfect. The triune God, three in one, Father, Son and Spirit. And there is a God who had so much love, wanted so much to share it, that he created you and me. Every single person in this room and on this planet was deliberately planned and put here by God for a relationship. Every single person on this planet has a hole in their heart that only God can fill. Only God can fill. And we seek and seek that until we find it. And then we discover that hole is actually everything. It's all him. So what does the Bible say? Jesus says in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. Intimacy. One. John 14.20, I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. That Father, Son shared with us. There's intimacy. If you become a Christian, Jesus lives inside you and you are in intimate relationship. John 15.4, Remain in me and I will remain in you. And Matthew 28, 20b, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is an eternal, intimate relationship with Jesus. The second you become a Christian, you are living eternity with him forever in intimate relationship. All you have to do is let him in. That's the key. John 14, 16 to 17 and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. There's the third part of the Trinity. The spirit is with us as well. He advocates for us. He is truth. Intimacy, the three-way God with us. John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and they will come to them and make our home with them. We're together. The same way relationships on the planet are supposed to work. God to you. God to me and me to you. 
It's a three-way relationship. The best marriages are built on God being the centre of everything we do because it's intimacy. It's relationship. If Joel was here, he would say, this is your soul shift. This is me to we. This is self to relationship, relational. This is true intimacy. So let's have a look a bit further at some stories in the Bible about where we see intimacy. Mary, Martha and Jesus. Now this is a story about Jesus going out for lunch. Jesus, in John 11:5, it tells us Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus is going out for lunch. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Anyone got teenagers resonating? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord said, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Take a step back. You've got Mary and Jesus, you've got Martha and Jesus. Who wants to hazard a guess? Which table is Martha sitting at? One, two, three, four. Two. Martha has come in, she said hello to Jesus and then she's straight back on her phone and she's gone. Which table is Mary sitting at? Four. Mary is sitting there totally focused on Jesus in an intimate relationship. So let's pull this apart a bit further. Let's start with what Jesus says to Martha. Jesus reprimands Martha not for doing good things. He reprimands her for being worried and upset about many things. Why? Because she was distracted. Martha had taken her eyes off the prize. She had gotten so worried about what was going on that she was off with the fairy, she was running around like a lunatic and she'd forgotten why she was doing any of it in the first place. And what happens when we get like this? When we get in that deep distress moment where everything's falling apart, what do we do? We do exactly what Mary, uh, Martha did. We turn around to the creator of the universe our Lord and Saviour, the one who loves us more than anything else, and we say, don't you care? Have we all done that? You ever turned around to Jesus and said, you don't understand? Don't you care? That's what happens when we lose focus of what's going on between us and him. And then what do we do? Then we start telling Jesus what to do. Tell her to help me. You ever turned around to Jesus and told him what he's going to do for you? He's God. You don't tell God what to do. Well, at least you shouldn't. We all have. So what does Jesus do in this situation? Jesus does exactly what he does with us. He turns around, stops everything that he's doing, looks her straight in the eye and gives her his full attention, which she never gave him, and he doesn't tell her what to do. Jesus never tells us what to do. Jesus turns around and he says, here is where you are wrong, here is the right answer, and it's your choice. God created each and every one of us with a free choice to choose what he wants or not, and he never goes against that. He lays out where you're wrong, he lays out the path forward, and then he says, over to you. Your turn to make a choice. And what does he tell Martha the right way is here? 
A few things are needed, or indeed only one. Look at Mary. What is the one? The one is Jesus. He is the start, the middle, and the end of everything. Jesus is the one thing that is needed. Martha was sitting there having an intimate conversation with Jesus, and that was the right thing to do. You can say, well, Murray, I don't really know how to have an intimate conversation with Jesus. That's really easy. You find one of these. Bible. You open it up. You don't just read it to gain knowledge. You don't just read it because it's words. You open this book to meet a person. You open this book to meet the person of Jesus Christ. This is God's love letter to us. This is God's manual for how best to live our lives. In this book contains every single thing we ever need to know. He said that, my word is sufficient for all your needs. Everything you need to know is in this book. And it comes down to four words. Love God and love others. That's the sum total of everything that's in this. And then what do we do? We pray. We simply talk to him, like you talk to someone at a table, and then we wait for him to respond. Sometimes he responds in the word and sometimes he talks. More often I find he comes back through the word because he's already written it and it's all there. So that's usually the way it goes for me. So what did Mary have that Martha didn't have? Mary had focus, but Mary had something else. She had a cry of her heart. People often say to me, how do you know when your Christian life is moving forward? How do you know that you're growing? Well, I think there's some great verses in the Bible that point this out. Psalm 42, 1-2, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That small hole we have inside us that nobody else can fill, that yearning that has to be filled, that's Jesus. When your soul is just lost and you're hanging on by the fingernails and the quick, there's Jesus. He's the only thing that's never going to let us down. The only one who can save us. And when it all falls apart, what does he tell us? In Isaiah 40.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God will carry us through. No matter what's going on. God will carry us through. John 10, 27, My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone, it takes time to get to know that person. When you've been married for like 20 years or 30 years, you get to that point where you don't actually need to speak to the other person because you already know what they're going to say. Amen to all those people who've been married a long time. That is absolutely no different to your relationship with Jesus. How do you get to understand the shepherd's voice? By listening to the shepherd's voice. Meet him, talk with him, share with him. That's how you build intimacy. And Philippians 3.8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. When we first become Christians, for those who have done that, and you actually go through that grace moment where you realise that you bring nothing and he is everything. That is the key that we hold on to, that we take out into the world. For those who are here this morning and heard Graham talking about taking Jesus out to the world, 
Another way of thinking about it is being filled with the Holy Spirit and leaking over everybody as you go around. That's what this is talking about. That's the cry of my heart. Mary's cry was to consider everything else a loss except for the time she was spending with Jesus. There's your intimacy. Now, I know what people are going to say. People are going to say, Murray, you don't understand my life. I'm so busy. I have so many distractions. I have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and get ready and make my lunch and go to work and then I don't get home till 7 o'clock and then I've got to bath kids, feed kids, do whatever, continue working. I fall into bed 11 o'clock at night. And then it's Saturday and I'm running around mowing the lawn or buying groceries or cooking meals and sat home at church and I fall into bed and then it's Monday again. I have no time. I have no time. I say to you, there's a guy who wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Practice the presence of God. A guy by the name of Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a kitchen hand some 300 years ago. And you've all seen kitchen shows, I'm sure. If you've ever been in a kitchen, and I mean a real kitchen, not a fake kitchen. If you haven't been in one, I strongly recommend you sign up for a scripture union camp this Christmas and try it. I've done it. There's nothing like it. You are assaulted on all five senses at the same time. There is heat and cold. There is noise. There are tastes coming at you. There are smells. There is constant movement. Nothing in a kitchen ever stands still. There is no break in a kitchen. It's just, if you haven't been there, try it. I just can't explain it. It's a bit like trying to explain having kids to people who've never had any. They just don't get it. What did Brother Lawrence say? In the midst of all of the noise that was going on in his life, he said, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only who comprehend it, who practice and experience it, yet I do not advise you to do it from that motive. It is not pleasure which we ought to seek in this exercise, but let us do it from a principle of love and because God would have us do it. What does that mean? Just every time something happens, shoot up a prayer. Hi God, thanks for that. My eldest daughter posted scripture all over the shower because she said while she was in there, she had nothing else to do, so she read it. For those of you who know Cesar, he talks about having Bibles in the toilet and he spends time reading the Bible while he's in there and he prays. You're driving down the road and you see a cloud or a flower. Thank you, God, for the cloud and flower. You're in the middle of summer and you walk into a train full of crowd of people and there's air conditioning. Thank you, God, for the air conditioning. Think about it. You can talk to God all the time. Just practice the presence of talking to God. That's all we have to do. It isn't actually that hard. So, well, hello, here we go. Let's try it again. There we go. What next? Take the time to pray. Just take the time to pray. Follow Mary's example. Follow Paul's discipline. Follow David's heart. Whatever works for you, just take the time to pray and read the word. Just take the time. That's all it is. Those who are in psychology, and Elena, don't correct me where I go wrong here, please, um, will tell you that everything starts with a choice. I'm going to choose to pray. That choice is completely useless unless I act on it. I choose to pray, I act on it. If I act enough, that action becomes a habit. If I make the habit enough, the habit becomes a behaviour. And if I do the behaviour long enough, the behaviour will change my character. You want to change your character? 
It's not that hard. Take a choice, take an action, and start praying. That's how you build intimacy. That's where intimacy and prayer comes from. It is that simple, a choice and an action. Everything else flows from there. So what's the most important thing about prayer? Prayer changes everything. Why does prayer change everything? Because God is in prayer. 